You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Okay. If you have your Bibles, then turn uh, to the book of Hebrews one last time. Um, we've finished up our study in Hebrews and want to uh, kind of briefly review some of the things that we've talked about over the past six, seven weeks, and then transition into a time of how to make sure that we go about applying this material, not just today, not just tomorrow, but really as we look to um, the 2019 year. Um, so a lot of you, and I, I've been challenging you over the last couple of weeks to start thinking through like plans and goals and desires for the upcoming year, um, and so we'll tie in that discussion with our application points um, from the book of Hebrews, okay? So um, when we started our study in Hebrews back in the early fall, we talked about how the book overall is meant to show us the superiority of Jesus, um, especially when things are very tempting and things are very difficult and tough with trials and difficulties. Um, Tendencies are to maybe wander from Jesus, and whereas the book of Hebrews challenges us, that's when we should really be running to and clinging to Jesus, We saw in Hebrews chapter 1 that he's better than prophets and angels because while he is a messenger of God, he brings a better message. He brings a complete message. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, we talked about not neglecting and drifting from his word. Hebrews chapter 3, don't harden our hearts to his word. Uh, Chapter 4, how belief leads to uh, eternal rest, but also a spiritual type rest today. Hebrews chapter 5, we talked about being ready to teach others about the better priest Hebrews chapter 6, we talked about being once saved, always persevering, that we don't lose our salvation, but if we are truly saved, we keep persevering to the end, all right? And so that brings us to Hebrews chapter 7, and normally what I like to do on Application Sundays is to read back through the text that we have covered since our last Application Sunday. That's far too much material for us to do today, so what I've done is I've pulled a couple of verses from each chapter that we'll kind of read through just to remind ourselves of what we learned from those chapters. So in Hebrews chapter 7, we talked about Jesus and the better priesthood. That's where we discussed a lot about Melchizedek. Um, We talked a lot about how we need to be maturing in our faith so we can handle deeper doctrines like that. Um, The summary sentence from that week was Jesus functions as the better priest because his work enables believers to draw near to God forever as he saves us from even the worst sins by his indestructible life that brings righteousness and peace. And so we talked about how he's a better priest because he can bring us into the Holy of Holies. Old Testament uh, tabernacle veiled off. The common person couldn't get access to God, only the high priest, only one time a year. That changes with Jesus and his better priesthood. So in Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 22, if you want to look there with me, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22, it says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Consequently, uh, wait a second, sorry. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he upholds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so we talked about how Jesus never changes his mind about saving us, that he continues to live to make intercession for us. And so he's still committed to the plan of saving us. And then it also talks about him saving to the uttermost. And we talked about that being uh, twofold. One, he can save 
the worst people possible. He can save the unsavable in our minds, the people that we think would never turn their hearts to the gospel. Jesus can save those people. And he saves us completely, or he saves us fully. He doesn't save us halfway, that he saves us to the uttermost. And so those were some of the points that we emphasized uh, with Hebrews chapter 7, that he is a better priest, um, and he's a better priest because he brings us into full access uh, to God in ways that the Old Testament priests could not. All right, That brought us to Hebrews chapter 8, where we talked about the better covenant that Jesus institutes. Um, I want us to look at verses 10 through 12 as a reminder. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So the big emphasis here, the summary sentence, Jesus ushers in the new covenant, which is built on promises of obedient living, intimate fellowship, and eternal forgiveness, rendering the old covenant obsolete as a mere shadow of the better things to come. And so what we see in the new covenant is that there's an inward change that takes place, not this outward compulsion where in the Old Testament you would have had a lot of people that were a part of Israel that brought sacrifices and kind of adhered to the Old Testament way but weren't necessarily motivated inwardly. They were just doing it outwardly. New covenant, it's all about the inward change that comes about through salvation. Um, And so we see Jesus ushering in that type of covenant. Um, We get obedient living, intimate fellowship, and eternal forgiveness where he doesn't remember our sins anymore, um, which is a huge benefit of the new covenant. We said in the old covenant, they kept offering sacrifices, and it was a reminder of their sins. Jesus, one sacrifice so that our sins are no longer remembered. Okay, that brought us to Hebrews chapter 9, where we talked about the better sanctuary. So Old Testament sanctuary, the tabernacle, the temple, it's replaced by this heavenly sanctuary in the new covenant. Summary sentence, while the old covenant was unable to purify consciences or provide access to God for the common man, Jesus brings eternal redemption through the new covenant, enabling us to serve God faithfully while waiting for him eagerly. Um, So Hebrews chapter 9 Let's look at verses 26 through 28. We can see these ideas running through the text. It says, um, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So New Covenant allows our consciences to be purified because we can receive that forgiveness. We know we don't have to offer any more sacrifices. We get full access to God. Um, we also see here in this chapter where God comes to, to he sends Jesus to put away sin. Um, specifically those unintentional sins um, as well as those willful patterns of sin in our life, right? So we talked about the two, that sometimes there are sins that we commit and we don't, we don't really intend to. Like, we didn't wake up that morning and plan to be sinful in these certain ways, right? There are things that we just end up, we end up doing unintentionally because we're still sinful people, and so we fall into some of that stuff. There's other things that we kind of set our heart towards doing it. Like, we intend to do it. We make plans to do it. We strategize to do it. Um, neither are okay. One, 
we kind of expect to still be there until Jesus comes back, those unintentional sins. There's going to be times where, where we, um, we grumble and complain about circumstances or we grow frustrated in situations or uh, those type of things that, again, we didn't wake up intending to be that person today. We just kind of got led into it because we're still sinful. We're still a work in progress. There's other things that we do that sometimes we wake up intending to do those things. Like, like we set our heart towards doing those things. Um, those things need to be weeded out quickly. Like those things shouldn't continue to be there as believers. Those, those willful, intentional, I want to go do this even though I know it's disobedient to God and what he has commanded of me. The other things we want to fight against, we want to set up parameters in our life to protect and to limit those unintentional sins. But those things we would expect to continue to be there and continue to have to be fought against. The willful patterns of sin need to be extinguished as quickly as possible. <clears throat> the new covenant makes that possible with the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us to write the law on our hearts. All right, that brings us to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we see the better sacrifice. So Jesus is better than animal sacrifices, right? Like his, his sacrifice atones for us in ways that animal sacrifices never could. It's why we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore. Let's look uh, specifically at Hebrews 10 verse 23 to kind of catch the main idea of this chapter. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Now let's skip down to verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which, was, uh, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." Summary sentence for this week was Jesus' better sacrifice enables us to enjoy full assurance of salvation, releasing us from the need to offer sacrifices ourselves, and empowering us to live obediently while encouraging others to do the same. And so we talked about none of you wake up thinking, I need to bring an animal today to sacrifice. But if we're not careful, we, we start to do things that are meant to make us feel better because we just sinned. So we don't run read our Bibles because we had a sinful moment and, and use that as payment for our sins, right? Like we, we probably need to go read the Bible after we've committed a sin just to have our souls refreshed, to have our minds renewed, but we don't do it to punish ourselves, right? Like we don't give money, we don't go to church, we don't do these things because we've fallen into sin and we need to atone for it. We do those things because those things will help us not fall into sin a lot of times, but we don't do them in a sacrificial type mindset. We don't, we don't approach it um, in a way to punish ourselves or to make ourselves feel better for bad choices that we've made. Jesus has fixed all that. He, he, he's the better sacrifice. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. Um, Hebrews chapter 10 tells us why it's so important for us to gather together as believers, though, to do so regularly. Because by doing so, we help encourage others and stir others up to good works, which means as a byproduct of that, we too would receive the stirring up and the encouragement. It says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So when we gather together, 
Two things should be happening when we gather together. And if it's not happening, then we've, we've created a problem within our church. We should be able to gather together and have opportunities to stir each other up to good works, to challenge each other, to encourage each other. And that encouragement's the other piece. So a stirring up and an encouragement that should come from opportunities when we gather together. Okay, and so we try to create those opportunities even on a Sunday morning. We don't want you to just come and sit and kind of be a spectator. We want you to participate in our services. We want you to have opportunities to speak into the lives of each other and to encourage each other, to stir each other up to good works, to share things that are going on in your life as a means of encouraging someone else's faith. Why? Because Scripture says that that's a healthy gathering. That's what a healthy gathering looks like when believers come together to encourage each other and to stir each other up. So that's what Hebrews 10 kind of reminds us about. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 um, Persevering faith is not flawless faith, but it does endure the worst circumstances and situations by believing that the future promises of God will be fulfilled eventually while seeing God's active presence today with spiritual eyes. So what that means is that persevering faith is not going to be perfect faith. Remember we saw in Hebrews 11 that hall of faith where you've got all these Old Testament people and all the great things that they did. But I told you, man, we could also make a list of all the bad things that they did too, all the times that they doubted God and they didn't show faith. But what's remembered about them is the times that they did show faith, right? So their faith wasn't flawless, but it was persevering faith. They kept going, and they made it to the very end, right? Um, It endures the worst circumstances and situations, right? We talked about each one of these Old Testament people and how there were times where they had every reason to doubt God, that it didn't look like God was going to come through for them, that it was some bad stuff, and they trusted God through that. And so persevering faith continues to trust God, believing that his promises will be fulfilled. That brings us to uh, the text in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. We skip down to verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I mean, there's some great descriptors there about what faith is and what faith needs to place its trust in. Um, Just as a refresher from what we talked about that week, we talked about how uh, salvation faith, like when we really trust God for our salvation, it means that we believe God's promises. We believe the things that he has said. Salvation's always been that, right? Old Testament people weren't saved by sacrifices, with New Testament believers being saved by faith. We've always been saved by faith, and it's always been trusting and believing the things that God says. Okay, so salvation faith believes the promises of God, that they'll be fulfilled down the road, and that they're being fulfilled today. We believe that God created and controls the universe, right? And that's such a huge piece of our faith, because it allows us to make it through difficult circumstances. And I've been telling you all through Hebrews, you're not the first person to go through the circumstances that you're going through, right? We've got people that that have gone through some difficult situations in our church, right? We've talked about miscarriages and lost children and and divorce situations and, and sickness and death. We're not the first people to go through these things. We're not the last people to go through these things. We've also talked about how people have gone through worse things than you've gone through. And they've endured, they've persevered, they've remained faithful to God. Okay, so it's a good encouragement to us that whatever it is we're dealing with, 
We can trust God through it. Why? Because he created the universe and he controls the universe. And the promise to us is that he controls it for good purposes for his children. Right? So we can make it through the difficulties, just like the people in Hebrews 11 did. Um, we also need to re- believe that God has revealed himself in certain ways. It's why Bible study and, and knowing God's word is so important. Because if we're not careful, we create false gods in our minds. Right? Like, I can create a God in the ways that I want God to function and be and act. Right? If I'm not careful, I can create a God who is okay with any type of marriage, right? But if I go to God's word and I read it and understand, no, God's revealed himself in certain ways. God, God has said some specific things about how he has designed his universe. Well, now that informs me. That informs me of the type of God that I'm supposed to put my trust in, right? If I don't know God from his word, then I've created a false God in my mind if I'm not careful. So, Why do we study God's words? We study God's word to know who he is so that we can put our faith and trust accurately in the right God, the God as he has revealed himself. Um, And he's revealed himself as a good God, right? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe two things about him, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He's a good God. He's a God that we need, right? He's a God that we go to because we believe that he's gonna reward those who seek him. Um, So important things there about faith and what it means to trust God we find in Hebrews chapter 11. All right, that brings us to Hebrews chapter 12, where it's all about running our race and and living our life for him. The summary sentence is understanding that countless others have run a faithful life. We too must lay aside every hindrance, keeping our focus on our future joy with Christ, which allows us to endure hardships and produce peace and holiness in our relationships with others. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right, so those great cloud of witnesses are the people that have gone through the same situations as us, who have gone through worse situations than us, and have persevered. They've kept their trust in God through those things. We can do it too, because other people have shown us that it's possible. Right? Um, we, in order to keep running and persevering and, and running our race well, we have to lay aside the weights, the things that aren't helpful, not necessarily sinful, not necessarily wrong, things that aren't helpful. Remember we talked about the bad question is, is it sinful? The better question is, is it helpful to me? Is it helpful to my spiritual walk? If it's not, let's get rid of it. Let's dump it from our life. If it's not helping us, then it may be holding us back. And we certainly want to get rid of the sins that easily cling to us. And we said that those are sins that are kind of unique to you, that maybe you struggle with particularly, and and maybe somebody else doesn't in our church, right? Like all of us in our accountability groups share things and for one, it may be a difficulty. For another, it may not be. But the sins that, that cling to us, the sins that t- can tend to trip us up are the ones that we really need to address in our life and really try to weed out in our life, all right? Um, and when we do that, uh, peace and holiness is kind of the result in our life. And how do we keep our, our focus right? We keep our eyes on the end goal of being with Jesus. That's what Jesus did. How did Jesus weather the storms of his life? It says that he kept his eyes set on being with his father again that he endured the cross, he despised the shame. Why? Because he knew his exaltation was coming again at the end of his life. All right, that brings us to Hebrews chapter 13. 
Summary sentence, we are called to offer sacrifices of praise by acknowledging the ongoing work of God in our lives while submitting to leaders who help us know how to care for and share with other believers. Okay, so that brings us to the last verses that I want to read to us is Hebrews 13, 1 through 9. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. I highlighted for you last week that I think there's two clear evidences of faith, two signs that we're really trusting God. One is that we enjoy good spiritual fellowship with other believers, right? He says, let brotherly love continue. And then he describes some of the ways that brotherly love continues, that we, we care for other people that are in need in our, in our context of our life, right? We show hospitality to other people in our life. Um, we're, we're generous with our money, right? Like we keep, we keep ourselves free from loving it too much so that we can share it with others. We are pure in our relationships with each other, right? We keep the marriage bed undefiled. We show great honor to the concept of marriage by maintaining purity in our relationships with each other, whether that's in dating relationships leading towards marriage or whether that's in marriages, we protect and guard uh, through the, the, the um, value that we place on purity in our life, okay? So, Uh, good spiritual fellowship with other people is important, and then submitting to spiritual leadership. I told you last week, too, spiritual maturity is seen through hospitality, care for the less fortunate, and a commitment to good works. And the two areas of good works that are highlighted here is how we use um, our purity and how we use our money. So that's kind of what we've talked about over the last several weeks in Hebrews. So that's a quick review of chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Um, we've covered all 13 chapters. We've got all those sermons saved and filed away for you if you ever need to go back and listen to those. But what I want us to make sure of moving forward is that we're very careful to apply some of the things that we've learned in the book of Hebrews, particularly in these last several chapters that we've looked at. And it's a great way for us to transition into this application as we look to the new year. With 2019, we're right on the doorstep of it. <clears throat> I, I love the fact that God creates... Um, opportunities for us to to evaluate our lives and to make choices to live differently if we want to. He does that on a daily basis with the, the, the renewal of each day, right? Like the sun comes up, the sun goes down, we go to sleep, we wake up, and it's a new, fresh day. It's a chance to forget things that happened yesterday. It's a chance to do things differently moving forward. When we come to new years, it, it, it's a chance to kind of step back and really evaluate where am I at in life, and where do I want to make sure that I'm going in life? Um, and then for those of us that are responsible for families, it's a great chance for us to step back and evaluate not just ourselves, but where our families are at and where we want our families to go moving forward too. So Second Thessalonians, if you want to turn with me, uh, verse 1, it's a, it's a verse that I, I think I've read the last, in the last Sunday of every year for the past couple of years, um, because I think it's a great spiritual uh, understanding of what resolutions look like 
uh, because this is the time of year where you hear a lot about New Year's resolutions, and um, if you're not careful, you kind of start to resent those because you realize, man, I've set resolutions before, and I've not kept them, and so why would I try to do it again? It's, it's not healthy for me. Um, resolutions are a good thing. I think they're a biblical thing in the regards to we need to resolve to do good. We need to set a plan and a strategy to do good according to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. <clears throat> it says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's telling us is that he's praying for this church. He's praying that they would be made worthy of their calling. So he's, his expectation is that there would be spiritual growth, um, that they would be uh, really growing in the calling that they've, they've been, that's been placed upon their life as believers and that they would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Why? So that Jesus is glorified. So resolutions are good when the end result of those resolutions is for God to be glorified in our life. And so if we will take time to step back and plan and strategize how we plan to use this upcoming year for God's glory, man, he's going to be glorified through those efforts. Even if we fail to meet all of our resolutions, even if we fail to keep all of our plans, odds are we are going to keep some of them or at least keep some of them partially, which pushes us forward in our growth. And ultimately, God is receiving glory through those efforts. It's what's communicated to us here. We've said before, people don't drift towards holiness. Um, You don't accidentally wake up a year from now and find that you're more like Jesus. It just doesn't naturally happen. It's something that we have to be intentional with. We have to make plans to put ourselves in position to grow spiritually. Now, it's certainly a supernatural work that happens in us. The Holy Spirit has to change us. That's part of the new covenant that we've been talking about. But how does he change us? Well, he changes us when we put forth effort to gather with other believers. That's us when we plan our week saying, you know what? We're not going to make plans to do anything else on Sunday besides getting together with our church family. We're going to prioritize that, right? Um, God changes us through being in his word. Well, that means you've got to strategize a time in your day or a time in your week that you set aside to say, this is when I'm going to be in God's word so that I can be changed supernaturally, right? So we don't drift towards holiness. Um, We said partially fulfilled steps are better than no steps. I read a really interesting article from Tim Challies, who's a Christian blogger. Um, He wrote it several years ago, and it just happened to pop up on my newsfeed um, this week. The article is about how sometimes, if we're not careful, we become content uh, being half-trained Christians, and he relates it to a lot of times people who own dogs set out in hopes of training like the greatest dog ever that's going to be able to do all these great tricks and all these great services, and then we get burned out really quickly on training our dog, and it ends up just being kind of a half-trained dog that knows how to sit when we tell it to sit, but that's about all that it can do. I want to read the article to you because I think it ties in well in this conversation about New Year's and and growth within the New Year. He says, A site I visit from time to time dedicated Christmas Day to displaying nothing but videos of people receiving puppies for Christmas. They meant to spread Christmas cheer, I suppose. There were little boys and girls, grown men and women, and even seniors, all screaming and weeping with joy as they came face to face with their new pets. 
I've often heard it said that pets do not make a great Christmas gift, but here it was, video after video of people immediately falling in love with those new puppies. I found myself wondering what happened to those puppies. Over the years, we've had a couple of dogs. Like most people, we planned to train our dogs until they were perfectly behaved, until they could go head-to-head with a police dog and perform just as well. For a little while, we made good progress. We taught the dog to do its doggy business outdoors instead of indoors. That took only a week or two. We taught the dog to sit, which was simple enough because all we needed to do was use treats to bribe a hungry animal. Healing went passably well, except for those times when another dog was anywhere in the vicinity. These initial, uh, these initial steps uh, produced a halfway respectful dog. But after that, it got much more difficult. Lie down, beg, crawl, stay off the furniture, don't stare at me when I'm eating, be calm. We gave up long before the dog could master any of these. In the end, we, like most people, settled for a barely trained but tolerable dog. We settled for good enough. Sometimes I settle for a similar good enough in my own life. Time after time, I am struck by the Bible's call for perseverance in the Christian life. Sure, we need to persevere in the face of trials, temptations, and persecution, but that is not all. We also need to persevere in the face of inner godlessness, in the face of that discouraging and dwelling sin. Few battles are more discouraging than this one. And few battles are more likely to cause us to give up. God calls us to train ourselves to be godly in 1 Timothy 4, 7. We do this by killing sin, by killing sin and coming alive to righteousness. We put aside old patterns and habits and come alive to new, better ones. God does not call us to bruise our sin or injure it or slap it around a little. God calls us to put our sin to death, and that is hard business. God assures us that with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can do this to beat it to death, to see its holiness drastically, radically diminished. But so often we stop short. We train ourselves for a while, but then grow weary when those last vestiges of sin refuse to die, or when we realize that sin has much deeper and stronger roots than we had expected, or when we realize that we actually kind of like our sin. We end up half-trained, good-enough Christians. Yet God calls us to persevere in the battle, to train ourselves thoroughly and completely, to fight for holiness and godliness from the moment of conversion to the moment of death. We answer this call only when we doggedly persevere. I, I, I thought about this as I was um, watching uh, a movie that we introduced our kids to on Christmas Eve called The Flight of the Navigator. It's a really old Disney movie, but it's really good. Um, at the very beginning of this movie, there's a, they're at a dog show, and all these dogs, like the, the movie opening scene is these dogs and they're running and they're catching Frisbees and they're making all these, all these acrobatic jumps and catches and it's really cool. And the main character of the movie is sitting there with his dog and he kind of watches this whole spectacle and thinks like, man, that's awesome to have a dog that can catch a Frisbee. And so he gets done watching it and he gets his dog and he gets his Frisbee and he kind of throws it and he's like, go get it, go get it. And the dog's just sitting there like, what do you mean you want me to go get that? Like he has no concept, he's not been trained to do it. And so him and the dog kind of have a conversation where he's like, look, I'm going to train you to start catching Frisbees. And his little brother comes up and, and kind of starts making fun of him. And he's like, our dog's too stupid. Like, our dog's never going to be able to catch Frisbees. Like, that can't happen, right? Well, then the movie kind of transitions. There's this whole time travel scene, and, and the boy's gone for like eight years. And so you fast forward eight years, and it's not really overly mentioned in the movie, but there's a scene where his brother, who's now eight years older, is throwing the Frisbee in the backyard and the dog's catching it. It's the same dog from earlier in the movie. Um, And it really stood out to me because I'm thinking, man, at some point the brother decided, you know what, we can train this dog to catch Frisbees. And it it probably took a lot of work. You know, eight years had passed and now he's, he's doing what you saw these other dogs do at the beginning of the movie. But there was some intentional effort. The brother and this boy saw what dogs could be capable of doing and said, you know what, let's make our dog be able to do that too. 
And so the point that he's making here is that, man, we don't want to be half-trained Christians who are kind of, kind of doing some good stuff but are just kind of content with being half-trained. That we want, to be, we want to be intentional to resolve to do the maximum amount of good with our lives that we can so that we can bring the maximum amount of glory to God that we can. All right, so, man, I want to challenge you over the next week as we get ready to start 2019 that you resolve to do some good things in your life this upcoming year. That you sit, time, you sit down and you, you take some time to really think through and plan and figure out what you would like to see God do in your life over the course of this year. Um, the idea of resolve it means to find a solution to a problem, to decide firmly on a course of action, to develop a strategy or a plan for something to happen. We see the same idea in Daniel 1.8 where Daniel resolved, the Bible tells us, to eat differently in order not to defile himself uh, with the Babylonians. Paul, we're told in Acts 19.21, resolved to go to specific places for gospel purposes. So resolutions really help us plan how to work out our salvation, according to Philippians 2, right? We're told to work out our salvation. Resolutions help make sure that we're planning how we're going to do that. Um, I love how Paul talks about here that, that prayer is a necessary component for our resolutions really coming to fruition. Um, he challenges the people that he's writing to in Thessalonica that he is going to pray for them that these things would happen in their life. And so um, I think it's so important that as we think through resolutions, things that we want to do this year, something we did this past year as an accountability group is we shared our resolutions with each other and tried to bring those up regularly at our meetings as a means of accountability. Hey, don't forget, you wanted to do this. We didn't tell you to do this. You said you wanted to do this. And it was a chance for us to pray that those things would happen. I don't know that anybody in our accountability group accomplished everything that we set out to accomplish this year. For some of us, we got some things done. For some of us, we got partly into some of the things that we wanted to do. But I think we could all say that we moved forward at least in some of those areas, which is healthy. It's a sign of growth, and it's a sign that God's receiving glory from those efforts. So I would want to keep you from being discouraged and thinking that if you can't meet all of your resolutions, that in some way you failed. Um, a healthy way, I think, to think about this in, in thinking about how to resolve to do good in 2019, and then, like I said, I'm going to tie it into the application from Hebrews, is to think through these three questions. One, what do you want to be able to do? or to be true about you in one year. And so we've talked about this probably the last three years. Um, when we think through the upcoming year, what are some things that you want to be either true about you or things that you want to be able to do that you currently can't do one year from now? You know, kind of kind of play the time travel game and say, what do I want me to be at the end of 2019? What do I want, what do I want to be different about my life? right? What do I want to be true about me that's not true right now? What do I want to be able to do that maybe I currently can't do right now? Question number two would be, what needs to happen immediately to make that happen, right? Like, this isn't a wish list. It's not, man, I'd like to be able to run a 5K in a year and just think that in a year from now you're going to be able to run a 5K, right? Like, you, like you don't drift into being able to run a 5K, Right? You have to train and get ready for that. So what needs to happen immediately? Well, you probably got, you got to start walking, start running, start building up endurance to be able to do that. Right? And God can receive glory from that just from simply getting into better physical shape, better health, better energy. Uh, you feel more likely in, in gathering with your church family outside of Sunday gatherings. You feel more energized to serve. So 
getting into physical shape can be a very healthy spiritual resolution because of the spiritual fruit that it can produce in your life. But what are the things that you want to be true in a year? What needs to happen to start making those things happen? And then when will you choose to make those things happen, right? So you might say, I want to be able to run a 5K in a year. What do I need to do? I need to start running. So then the next question is, when are you going to start doing that, right? Because you don't drift into a daily habit or a weekly habit of running. You have to set aside time to do that. Okay, so you kind of got to think big picture. What do I want to do in a year? What do I want to be true about me in a year? Next thing is, what type of things have to happen for that to actually come to fruition? Then the next thing is, when am I going to do those things to make sure that in a year from now I've accomplished those things? Okay, so I want to give you some help to kind of get you started in thinking about some things that you need to resolve to do this year based on what we've talked about in Hebrews to kind of wrap our time up together today. All right, so number one, resolve to grow. We've seen this throughout the book of Hebrews, that there's a, there's a responsibility as Christians for us to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of, of who God is in his word, to mature in our understanding. So resolve to grow, and two ways you can do that, to, to start the juices flowing as to what that looks like for you. One, evaluate your spiritual past and determine if there's anything that was true about you previously that you want to be true again. Remember the author in Hebrews said, um, when you were first enlightened, these things were true about you. You were very given to going to visit people in jail. You were very open to your property being plundered for the sake of the gospel. He says, these, these things were true about you when you first got saved. And he says, I want to see those things continue to happen in your life or to, to make a reappearance in your life because you've drifted from them. So, as we look to the new year, it's a great time to step back and say, man, is there anything that used to be true about me? Things that I used to do or things that used to be true about me that need to be resurrected, need to be brought back as a regular part of me, right? Evaluate your plan for personal Bible study and make changes if desired, right? Like if you look and say, my time in the Word's pretty infrequent, it's not what it needs to be if I'm going to grow and mature in my faith, then you've got to step back and say, okay, I need to make some changes there, right? And again, it's not for the purpose of increasing your knowledge from the head. It's to increase your knowledge in the heart. It's to say, okay, I need to know about God so that I can trust him. I need to know about God so that I can understand how he's revealed himself. I can understand his ways because he's very clearly given us some revelation, right? Um, evaluate your spiritual past, anything you need to bring back into your life. Evaluate your personal study plan. Make changes if needed to your life as well. Number two, Resolve to be pure. Resolve to be pure. We talked about in um, Hebrews 13, that call, that, that expectation that as believers, we are fighting for purity in regards to um, how we hold marriage. And I told you that's not, that's not just for married people. That's absolutely for single people as well, that we show a honor and value for marriage in the purity that we maintain in our relationships prior to marriage, right? So um, evaluate your attack against sin and let your accountability group know of your current struggles. We've talked about this through the book of Hebrews as well. If you haven't done this yet, man, let me encourage you to do so. You probably could benefit greatly from your accountability group just stepping back and saying, hey, let's, let's kind of reset the course. Where's everybody at? What is everybody struggling with? How can we pray for each other? Evaluate your attack against sin, those unintentional sins and those willful patterns of sin that need to be addressed. Evaluate how you'll make much of marriage through your actions this year. Again, that's not just for married people. 
That's for everybody in here. How are we going to show as a small community of believers here that we value marriage, that we do so through the purity type steps that we take as believers, okay? Evaluate how you will make much of marriage through your actions this year. Resolve to be pure. Number three, resolve to be hospitable. Resolve to be hospitable. Evaluate how you are actively trying to welcome and acclimate visitors and new members into our body. Man, how are you going to be a solution to people feeling connected and loved when they come and visit our church and after they make steps to join our church, right? How are you going to be an active solution to making sure that people feel connected and loved when they step into these uh, step through these doors into this room or when they visit a C group or when they visit a men's dinner or a women's dinner? How are you going to actively be a solution to making sure those people feel loved and connected very quickly to our church family? Number four, resolve to give. Resolve to give. This comes from Hebrews chapter 13 as well. Not only do we want to hold marriage in high honor, not only do we want to show hospitality, right? Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, number five, keep your life, or verse five, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. I'll never leave you for, nor forsake you, says the Lord. All right, so first thing for our members, I would say, man, this is the time that we ask for you to step back and evaluate your plans to give to our church and to share that commitment to give through the form that Ben has posted, right? We ask you to do that anonymously because we're not concerned and interested in in who's giving the most or who's giving what. What are we concerned about? We're concerned about using your resources that you're giving to this church wisely. And the best way we can do that is to know what we should anticipate receiving so that we can then make sure that it's dispersed properly through our budget, right? So, man, what we want to know is how much do you plan to give? And we're not going to tell you how much to give, right? We don't tell you to give 10% here because I don't see that mandated in the New Testament. What do I see mandated? That we're supposed to give and to give cheerfully. And why do we need to do it together? Because we can do bigger things if we pool our money together, right? We can do great things individually, especially if God has blessed us financially. But we can do even bigger things when we pool our money together, right? So we would ask, Ben's already asked, I would ask that you step back as a family, evaluate what are we giving, how much can we give, how much are we going to give, and to commit to doing that so that we can finalize our budget for the upcoming year. Secondly, I would say evaluate your plans to give outside the church and plan to do it right? Because we also tell you, don't necessarily feel like you have to give all of your money to the church and then be done. We want us to be known as being a generous people, people that give to the church, but then also people who are willing to give outside of the church context too, that your family is known as being a generous family, that your family is known as being a hospitable family that helps serve and take care of people that are in need. So think through how you plan to give outside the church and plan to do this plan to do this, okay? And then lastly, number five, resolve to serve. Resolve to serve. Evaluate ways you plan to encourage and stir up your accountability group to good works this year. I challenged you a few weeks ago when we talked about this. How do you see yourself fulfilling the role to stir others up to good works? I told you it needs to come through your accountability group because that's how we've designed it in our church to make sure that everybody's kind of covered and taken care of. So how do you strive to stir your accountability group up 
to good works. Evaluate ways you plan to serve within our church this year. We've got ways for you to serve. We've communicated some of those ways. We hope to communicate even more ways coming out of our leadership retreat in January. But I would challenge you to evaluate ways that you're serving within our church and how you can potentially serve even more if you desire to do so. Which kind of leads into the last thing that I want to cover before we partake of the Lord's Supper together. We told you that Kind of moving forward, when we do Application Sundays, we want to take it as an opportunity to review our goals as a church and things that we're actively trying to work on right now, right? And so as you think through ways that you want to resolve to grow and be pure, be hospitable, give and serve as an individual, man, we hope those get tied into our goals as a church as well, right? And so just to kind of remind you of where we're at with that, we want to determine uh, a real good course of action for serving people locally in this area. And we've asked you guys to pilot some different programs that we're looking at doing, right? Like we've got the foster care class that's getting ready to start here pretty soon. Tyson reminded us through the posting today on the rim. Raise your hand if you're, if you're participating in that group, just so we can kind of see a visual. Other people can see who's participating in that class. Okay, so these are people that <clears throat> have committed to the, the foster care um, opportunities, whether that means full-time foster care, whether that's um, babysitting and, and taking care of kids that are in foster care where somebody needs a break. These are people who are committed to going through the class. Um, and, and it's a big commitment, right? Like it's three hours for several, eight weeks is, is what the, the duration of the class is. So these are people that are, that are planning to do that. Um, we've got individuals who have been purchasing and strategizing items for our Coweta Pregnancy uh, Fundraiser Gala, right? Raise your hand if you're on the team that is working towards getting items donated or we're trying to find items discounted to put towards the Fundraiser Gala. Raise your hand. All right, so we've got, we've got a collection of items already. We, we strategized around Black Friday um, deals. We went out and purchased some stuff. We're planning to donate all of that to the Coweta Pregnancy Center so that they can then use that for their Fundraiser Gala. But we've also asked you guys to plan to participate in that event, right? So that's going to be coming up on April 18th, which is the Thursday. We'd love, for, we'd love to have to buy three, four tables for our church. We've typically purchased two tables for our church. Man, I'd love to pack out uh, four tables represented by people from our church that can come, be a part of that night, can write personal checks to buy items that night, that can, that can donate some of your money to help make sure that ministry continues. Um, it's a great opportunity for us, and, and so I would encourage you to be a part of that. Um, we've asked you guys to, to, to continue to evaluate uh, Marcus's role in our church. We hope to, if, if the Lord wills, uh, appoint him as an elder midway through this upcoming year. So at the end of May, or right there at the beginning of May, we hope that, that he would be affirmed as an elder of our church if the Lord wills. And so we've asked you to participate with us in that, to be a part of that. So Please continue to pray for Marcus. Please have Marcus and his family over to your house. Spend time with him so that you can feel good in affirming him as a new elder in our church. Marcus is going to be preaching for us next Sunday, and we're excited to hear him bring the word for us this next Sunday um, morning. Okay? Um, <clears throat> we've asked you to, um, to help or to be praying about the fact that we want to develop an organized plan for welcoming and acclimating visitors within our, within our church. So we challenged you. Um, last application Sunday, make sure you're getting to know our new members, 
right? We've had some people that have joined recently. Make sure that you're getting to know our new members and making sure they feel welcomed and acclimated to our church. And to be very intentional to recognize people who have visited our church and have visited again to our church, right? These are people that we want to show hospitality to. That may mean you asking them to to go out to lunch, on a Sunday after church because you've seen their face a couple of times now. They've obviously liked us well enough the first time to maybe come back and see us a second time, right? To maybe have them over to your house if you feel comfortable doing that as you continue to see their faces around our church to show hospitality to those people. We want to see you show that um, and to be active in that. We're also, from a mission-minded standpoint, have asked you to pray about Snowbird's possible facility expansion. We had a great update from Rob last week. Him and his family came down from Snowbird. We're able to share things that they're planning to do to expand their facilities. Man, what's crazy is that it was just like a month and a half ago when they put out a notification that they needed like $100,000 to tap into the, the city's sewage and to really get that plan moving. I got an update this week that says they're $7,000 short on that maximum goal. So I mean, that's whoever's in charge of fundraising there like, is, is getting the job done because I know what we're trying to do at Trinity and how long it took us to collect our money. Um, they asked for $100,000 just a few weeks ago, and they're $7,000 short. So, man, I totally anticipate that happening pretty soon. Um, so, man, continue to pray for them and, and, and what they're striving to do there at Snowbird. We want to continue to connect you guys and, and give you ways to stay connected with what's going on up there. But we've got all of that on the, on the right board in the back for you to kind of stay refreshed with. Um, we're going to plan to update that probably coming out of our retreat in January with new things for us to be working on as we see some of these things start to pass because we've, we've, we've done some of these things. Um, so we hope to provide some new updates on ways for you to be involved in some of those things. But wanted to use today as, again, a reminder for you to know that's back there. It's an expectation that we have that you're kind of thinking through and participating in some of those things. And some of it right now is just heavy on the prayer side. Um, and sometimes we maybe think, well, that's not, that's not a whole lot that I need to be doing. And, and that's really like a major thing for you to be doing, right? Paul says, I'm praying, I'm praying that, that every resolve to do good will happen in your life. Man, let's pray that our resolve to do good back there as a church will come to fruition too, that, that God would see some of those things through, okay? So what I'd like to do this week, I think I've done in some of the years past, is to continue to give you some guidance on making New Year's resolutions. I'll do that on the realm and try to give you some guidance and thinking through some ways to make resolutions for this year. Encourage you to think through how to resolve to do some of these things, to grow personally, to be pure, to be hospitable, resolve to give, and resolve to serve. Okay? I want to transition now into us partaking of the Lord's Supper, which is what we like to do each application Sunday as well. Um, This is, again, a chance for us to publicly express that salvation has occurred in our life so we don't get saved by partaking of the Lord's Supper back there. Um... We also ask that only believers do so. So if you've got kids that are in here that have yet to make an expression of faith, we'd ask that they not partake because this is for believers. Um, And really what we're signifying here, what we're showing here is that we believe in the better covenant that we've been learning about. We believe that Jesus came to be a better sacrifice for us. The bread represents the body, the sacrifice that he made on the cross to to live and, and, and to be perfect for us and then to shed his blood on the cross for us. And so we see that through the bread and through the juice. It's a picture of his life and his death, both of which were necessary for our salvation, right? Both of which were very necessary for our salvation. And while neither of those things become his body or blood, they represent his body and blood that was shed for us. And so we don't offer sacrifices today, 
right? This is not the time where we transition into killing an animal for the forgiveness of our sins. This is a time where we transition to say the one sacrifice was better, right? The one sacrifice that we've learned about, it's, it's an all-sufficient sacrifice, and we're still holding tightly to that sacrifice. So I'm going to invite you here after I pray to spend some time personally reflect, reflecting and praying, um, to spend some time meditating on what we've learned in the book of Hebrews about the new covenant and the better priest. Um, and then as you feel led uh, to go back and partake of the Lord's Supper, Tyson's going to have some music for us. We're going to sing together in closing after a few minutes as well, after you've had a time to personally reflect. Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, we love you and we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you so much for um, the ways that you've been teaching us over the past several weeks. We thank you that We've been able to learn about this new covenant. We've been able to learn about the better priesthood of Jesus, the better sacrifice of Jesus in the better sanctuary. God, we thank you that Jesus has come to be everything that we need him to be. We thank you that you have made a way for you to not remember our sins anymore and that we can come today and we don't have to feel guilty. We don't have to despair about the sin that's in our life. Instead, we can come confessing it knowing that you've already dealt with it and that you're ready and willing to forgive it. God, I pray that as we partake of your supper today, that it would be a true expression of things that are going on in our heart, that there is a desire to do good, there is a resolve to do good, um, that we desire to, to live the way that you've called us to live, um, that we want to be participants of the new covenant with the law written upon our hearts where we're obeying you out of love and not out of outward compulsion. So God, as we partake today, help it to, to be a true expression of, of things that are going on in us. And if it's not, God, I pray that you'd convict us. Convict us of any uh, love for sin that we're still holding on to. Um, God, we don't want to be like half-trained dogs who know how to do some things but uh, are content to not do others. God, we want to be Christians who are, who are dead set on running our race and running it well and laying aside hindrances, and laying aside sins that easily cling to us. We want to resolve to do as much good as we can in the upcoming year. And God, we know with your power, <clears throat> with your guidance, we can. You can accomplish that through us. We thank you for that assurance. We thank you for those promises. We ask that you would keep us believing in those promises. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.